Well, hello world, and welcome to Confluence, the lifestyle where confidence meets influence. I'm your host, Charlie Marcole, and I'm so glad you joined in today. We will talk about so many exciting things, so stay tuned. I'm so happy you're here. What's up, Confluencers? Welcome back to another episode of Confluence, the lifestyle where confidence meets influence. This is a playground to connect the community of women by using our gifts, skills, and talents. I hope all is well in your world and your June is off to a wonderful start and it is what it is. And is can be whatever you want it to be. I pray that you are trying to find some sense of normalcy in the madness and chaos because, child, it has been chaotic to say the most, not the least. We're talking about political unrest, civil unrest, relationship unrest, and trying to stay on top of life. Listen, who would have thought when you wrote 2020 is going to be the year I see the vision that this was the vision. And the biggest lesson that I've learned in 2020 is that I can plan, but I know that God is in control. And this whole thing from COVID to Corona to the death of George Floyd and all of the senseless others, we're talking about Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey. We have pulled the layers back. America has been like an onion and we are constantly pulling the layers back. We are tired and we are not okay. Listen, I woke up and said to myself, what day is it? What day is it? Because I have lived my life in semesters since 2002. I've been in the education realm So I've lived my life from summer to spring to fall. And these days are melting together like butter, baby. Woo! So much has happened since our last episode. I wrote a poem entitled, We Are Not Okay. And I shut down the AKA Virtual Poetry Slam last Saturday. And the first line of the poem simply says, Check on your black friends. We are not okay. But more importantly, you got corona cases starting to soar up. Police reform bills are being presented. And we finally laid George Floyd to rest. And a home going. See, you got to be raised by, you know, a descendant of a slave, baby. You know, we don't really call it a funeral. We call it a home going. Because we know that you are going to a better place. But we let the world see our culture firsthand. And I'm just going to say this. Listen to all of my other sisters that are listening that are part of another ethnicity. No offense. But it's nothing like being black. We are filled with so much light that we are just lit. We are lit. Like I said, it was a homegoing celebration fit for a king. You had who's who in the house, but more importantly, a family got to say their final goodbyes and got some closure, but justice still needs to be served. George Floyd's death wasn't a wake-up call. It revealed that America has been hitting the snooze button for centuries. Since the first recorded case, I'm going to say 1619 was the first recorded case of slavery. But I believe, I'm one to believe that it was probably happening way before then. As I stated in my poem that we are not okay, lynching no longer happens on trees with men in white sheets. It happens at the hands of men in blue uniforms in the middle of the streets or in our apartment or minding our business or taking a jog, or eating ice cream on my couch in my house. It's just time. And if you haven't had the opportunity to listen to it, please do so. It's available on all of my social media platforms. 
Another senseless death of our own has required legal action from the government. Quick, fast, and in a hurry. We want some answers and we want some change now. My guest today knows the law firsthand because she seeks justice for her clients that face civil issues to resolve disputes and legal issues. Ladies of Confluence, let's welcome and whoop it up for my sorrow and attorney to the stars in Lucy Chikora. Whoop, 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 whoop. Hey, girl. Hey, how are you? I am well. How are you? Thank you for the invite. How are you doing today? I am well. I Listen, you know, we finally laid George Floyd to, to rest. You know, that man yes. has been on top of the ground for a long time. Yes. So I think that, you know, for the culture, I think we were satisfied. We invited the world into a Black funeral yesterday. So I, I'm, I'm feeling okay. Yeah. Yeah. I watched his brother um, at the hearing this morning and um, it was brief, but it was powerful. He reduced me to tears. I, I was like this, this, if there's not change after this, I don't know what to tell you. If if you're not moved after this, you, you likely are not human. You're likely not human because, likely it's, not you human. know, I've been reading a lot of the signs protests. It's not civil rights. It's human rights. It's not yes. this. It's, you know, we're talking about a human being. And so that's what I want this podcast to highlight today about being human and what our rights are as citizens of the United States. Because people treat us like we're still three-fifths of a human being, you know, in this country. Um, yes. yes. And, um, you know, I just had to bring an expert that knows the law. Because I think we're unlearned, Lucy, when it comes to what are our what are our rights? You know what I mean? Like we we just don't know. We hear it, we heard somebody say, but what do you know? And so that's why I wanted to bring you on. So welcome to Confluence, the lifestyle where confidence meets influence. I really appreciate the invite. And um, as an attorney, let me put a disclaimer. I don't know all the law. <laughs> I know some of the law. And I will do my best to uh, to um, to answer your questions and give people some guidance um, as to what I can answer, as to where the information can be found. That that definitely is something I can do. Um, as far as um, your statement that people are unlearned, I have to put that in historical context. You know, it was illegal at one point for African Americans to read, even own a book. So I hesitate when I require people to go and seek out their not to seek out knowledge that this is a group of people that that's been burdened for a long time when it comes to this area we're just as smart as anyone else but if you don't allow us to learn we won't know you know so you know so I want to I want to put that in historical context before we even start that the lack of information is not just uh, a recent thing. It's a historical thing. And on every front. That's why we're scared of the doctor. That's why yeah. we're scared. You know, it like, that's why we're scared of school. That's why, you know, I deal with it all the time on in the education realm. Like, on every front, we are just afraid. Yes. Yeah. We are, because the outcomes have been bad for us. You know, look at the mortality rate for African-American women when they, you know, when they uh, have uh, when they're going to uh, labor. Mm -hmm. Look at how the fact that, you know, we're not um, we're not believed when we say we're in pain. You know, look at the fact that we've been experimented on. You know, African-Americans have been experimented on in this country. Look at the fact that George Floyd was saying, I can't breathe and no one believed him. No we're told him. every yeah, or, you know, we, it's it's it's. It's all encompassing and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. We just started talking. Tell everybody who you are and what you do. Absolutely. My name is N. Lucy Chukora. I am an attorney here in Houston, Texas. I have been practicing for 16 years. My practice is primarily focused 
on employment and labor law, as well as business matters. I am a proud member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated and a, <laughs> and an, uh, uh, and a graduate of the Thurgood Marshall School of Law here in Texas, Houston, Texas. And um, I've, you know, handled a fair amount of cases, um, you know, and I have some experience behind what I do. And um, it's, there's an increasing urgency to what I do now. I used to think I just practice law, but now that I'm fully invested in one area of law, which is my favorite area of law, which is employment and labor law, I've started to see these cases as what they are, which are civil rights cases, mm -hmm. you know? And so to loop back to what you said about we are unlearned, I encounter so many people who just don't know. And I'm someone who had the benefit of a mother who was a teacher and went on to become a college professor. You know, I have lawyers, doctors in my family, and I have the benefit of, a, of not being the first in my family to accomplish anything, you know? And so when I encounter people, I have to remind myself that these are, this person really does not know. This is not a intentional, you know, willful ignorance. They really don't know. So make sure that you leave them with the skills to seek out information as, as well as trying to help them with their problem. You know, yeah. I find that the minute you educate someone on something, you change them fundamentally, you know? So I'm, you know, with these cases, I really try to do more than just help them. I want them to never be taken advantage of because obviously that's what I see. I get a fair amount of discrimination cases and it's not just black people. I get, you know, white people, women, you know, so discrimination takes on a lot of forms. And yes, those are still civil rights cases because this country was built to cater to white men, you know? So if you're not a white man, these laws can impact you. It doesn't mean you can't benefit from, you know, certain laws, you know, that's not what I'm saying, but largely that's what the, that's, that's who was given priority, you know? So that's where, that's my little corner of the world is trying to help people who've been impacted in that way. Thank you for sharing it. And thank you for doing what you do. Um, because we need, I, as an educator in the school system, I always tell people I get my nine to five, my insurance, comes from the education, board, <laughs> education realm right but one reason I do what I do you know each year I say I'm, it's time for me to leave but one reason I do what I do is because I want our children to see that a you can make it out the hood b look at me I did it too and I want them to see a good representation of what you can be so thank you for representing the people you know, and educating them on what is civil, what is discrimination, and what is their right. So thank you so much. Thank well, no, no thanks is necessary. It's about equality, you know. The we can you can only advance as far as the least advanced person in your community. You know, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything if you're the richest person in your town and there are people starving. I don't understand people who don't see that, you know. Mm. If there's someone starving in your town. What does it mean for you to be the richest person in the town? You know what I'm saying? What did you accumulate all that wealth for? Mm, mm, mm. Mm, mm, mm. So can we just jump into the interview? Mm -hmm. All right. So people are wondering what is a civil right? Because some people don't know the real definition of a civil right. So what is a civil right? Uh, that a civil right is basically the rights guaranteed to you um, under the laws of this country. Mm -hmm. um, so they come from a number of areas um, from the federal government, from the state government, city ordinances and uh, municipal co codes. You can have anything given to you. So the state creates those rights. Um, and that is basically what a civil right is without getting any deeper. I can give examples, you know, a civil right is you have equal protection under the law. 
You know, you have the right to be treated equally under the laws of this country. You know, you have the right to due process when it comes to um, when it comes to criminal matters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have the right from uh, um, wrongful seizure of property. You have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There are there are there are rights from all manners of documents, uh, all manners of places in this country. So you know those are your civil rights. You do not um, give them up. Um, can't waive them. You know, unless well, you can waive some of them, but you know they 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 come from a variety of sources: the Constitution, Bill of Rights, all sorts of places, all sorts of places. So, okay, everybody's talking about the violation of a civil right. Can you break the what a violation means when somebody has violated? You you would think that everybody would know what a violation is. Because, like, people violate me all the time. Like, especially with this corona, like, ma'am, you are in my face. You are, that is a violation. Ma'am, back, back, ma'am. But... <laughs> Tell the people what a violation of a civil right looks like. Well, you know, a violation of a civil right also depends on the type of civil right it is. Okay. So it depends on what we're talking about. Um, so it's hard to, so like your right to vote. Let's take, for example, what happened in Georgia yesterday. Yes. You know, you have the right to vote unless it's been encumbered by things like the shenanigans they're doing in Florida. Georgia is a good example, good relevant example of a violation or possible violation of a civil right. You have the right to vote unless it's been encumbered by another law, you know, sort of like felon statutes and, you know, all that sorts of thing that can encumber your right to vote or outright bar your right to vote. But just, you know, just as a general, you have the right to vote. So you have mostly minority communities, minority precincts having these long lines, you know, mm -hmm. and these long lines are a function of the government not allotting a proportional share of voting machines or making poll workers available or do what they need, because it seems to be that in non-minority precincts, they could walk in and vote and walk out and go home. But mm -hmm. minorities are waiting in long, long lines and some of them did not vote. So that is a violation of their civil right, specifically their right to vote. So I, when it comes to violations, it depends on the violation and it depends on the nature of the violation. Okay. You know, so, yeah. So it just it just depends. But what I tell people is, you don't need to become a street lawyer. You know, you don't need to, you, you know, you don't need to have, you know, a law degree. Most times, most people have an instinct for when they're being treated wrong. Mm -hmm. And you know what? One of my favorite things that probably people hate to hear from me is Google is free. You got a phone. Google is free. You can literally say, Google, do I have the right to X, Y, and Z? Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And all manner of things can educate you. And then you can go from there to see if there's something that someone can do to help you, you know? So, but a violation is basically anything that encumbers or bars your ability to, to exercise a right that's been given to you, you know? So in the employment context, for me, if you've been terminated from your job on the basis of race, the law says you have a right to be free from discrimination. So there you go. Do you see what I'm saying? That was going to be so, my next question. What if somebody got fired this week because they were standing up for their community um, for Black Lives you know, Matter? Can they be fired for that? Okay. And it, it, facts matter. In the employment, well, in all things, facts matter. But definitely because employment cases are so easily dismissed and so you know the there's a there's a there's a there's a huge mountain you're going up a mountain when it comes to an employment case you know so 
it depends on whether you can demonstrate that the termination has a discriminatory animus motivated by race, you know, motivated by, you know, so if someone tells, if, if you came to me, for example, and said, I was terminated because I went to a, uh, the rally and I was seen with a sign that says Black Lives Matter, and then I was terminated, I would have to look at the facts around that and figure out what really motivated your termination. Because if you lied to your employer and said you were going to be at the doctor and they see you on the news, that's a different case. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's a different case, you know? So you have to, facts matter. Facts matter. And so you can't, for me, I have to look at every angle. I have to look at it from your angle and I have to look at it from the other side. What was the reason you were given, if any reason at all? Is there a history of this at your job? Do you see what I'm saying? And it, 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 the, it's fact specific, you know? I can tell you right now that lawyers hate it when you come, well, my, my ex, this, my, this person did that and they got $3 million. You know what I'm saying? I don't care about that. You know what I'm saying? It's, this is your case. Your case is specific to the facts around your case. And that's, you know, that's what it is. So, yeah, I mean, it could be racially, it could be racially motivated or not. That, not. This, that, yeah, or not. So, what is the biggest highlight of your career? Like one of the biggest, like you, you learned something, it was an aha moment. It changed the way you look. What was one of the biggest highlights of your career as an attorney? You know, I've told this, I've told this particular story. I'm about to tell a number of times. I've never um, actually voiced it like publicly or put it out, said it to friends. But I, um, there was an, I, I, I obviously working for 16 years as an attorney, I've worked for various people. I've worked in corporations. I've had, uh, you know, I've had a varied, um, employment career thus far. You know, I've worked for a wide variety of entities and persons. And, um, as an attorney, I've always starting out, I was very unsure of my, my ability to be a lawyer, which is very different than knowing that you have a brain and you can, you know, you understand things, you know, Mm -hmm. I was unsure of myself as a black woman in the corporate world. Um, I didn't know if I was as good as other attorneys. I was, you know, I just, I just was unsure, you know? And so I started my career um, timid in that area. I am not naturally a timid person, but in that area I was, you know? And so I spent the first probably 10, 12 years of, of my career in that fashion. And my last job working for someone on my last day with them, the only other African-American employee for that organization made sure I saw how much that organization billed me out for, basically my hourly rate. I was astounded by the amount. I did not think I could command that. I did not think I was worth that, but someone else did. And that's how much they were getting paid for the work I was doing for them. And Mm. from that, they were giving me a smaller amount. And that was my last day with that company. And it opened my eyes. That was the first time I actually thought of myself as capable of taking a case and seeing it to fruition or resolution. And that came almost 12 years after graduating from law school. And this is something that my, I hate to say and put it in this way, my white male counterparts and probably men in general believe of themselves the day after they graduate. 
So it that is that's my aha moment. And after that, six months after that, I started my practice. And about a year after that, I had a Grammy nominated celebrity hire me to handle work for him in two different states. Hmm. You so, needed to see that. To, to, yeah. to catapult you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. because we sell ourselves cheap sometimes or you know or don't yeah. see our the value that has already been in us you know sometimes yeah. we just need that little shake to say come on lucy you know you got yeah. this gone and gone and gone and kick ass and take names you know yeah yeah and and you know that is my daily frustration because as an african-american woman woman i want my people to do well this is not at the detriment of any other group but I want my people to do well, you know? Mm -hmm. I am, I wasn't born of this country, but this is my country now, you know? And I want to see African-Americans excel because I come from excellence, you know? And so it is, it is a daily frustration to see the legacy, to see the legacy of slavery just you know, rear its head in different situations day after day after day after day. You know, it is it is a mind numbing thing to 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 have that on your back. And it's something, you know, that people who don't look like us understand. They do not understand it at all. What it is, you you cannot put your skin color down. Here you go. You know, when I walk into a courtroom, I'm usually the only African-American female there, you know, and it's so obvious, you know, and it's just, it. I'm someone who believes that color should matter, but it really does. It really does to it, a lot of people. It definitely does. It definitely does. Mm -hmm. So can we talk about color and law? <laughs> I mean, color, you know, I mean, what I know so many brilliant lawyers, just lawyers, period. But I had the benefit of going to Thurgood Marshall and I wanted that experience. I went to the University of Oklahoma. I'm a, I'm a Sooner for my undergrad. So I went to a PWI, predominantly white institution. White yeah. No, no. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. I did not have a single racial incident while I was there. The university at that time took care of us. I made sure we were included. We had everything we needed, you know. But I also knew that my experiences in this country, especially as an immigrant, were limited. And I specifically wanted the HBCU experience for my so, you know, this was likely going to be my last time in an educational institution for a long period of time. So that's what I wanted. I specifically wanted to come to Houston and I specifically wanted to go to Thurgood. And I am I was blessed to have gone to that school. It has borne some of the most brilliant lawyers that I know. And they are lawyers who can make um, who can make something out of nothing, you know. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they, 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 a lot of them came from struggle and, you know, and they are out there, you know, doing it. A lot of us that graduated and still graduate from third good, you know, were mostly solos, meaning we work for ourselves, you know, and anyone who owns their own business understands that that is, that is punishment and a reward all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know how else to. You know, I don't know how else. You know, to to you know to uh, to explain it. So it's a punishment. I went to law school. You know, they never once taught me anything about uh, bookkeeping or marketing or you know or good communication skills. I mean, I know how to research. I know how to write. I could analyze some law. You know, and now here I am running a business, and I'm like. Who is supposed to do that? You know what I'm saying? Oh, you. <laughs> you know, so that right there, it's a punishment and a reward. You know, you do all the work, but then again, you get all the pay. So, you know, 
I mean, it's, it, it is what it is. It's not, it's not something that everyone can do, but at the same time, I understand those who choose not to do it. There are days when I'm like, I just need to find me a good job. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I just need to find me a good job and get my paycheck, you know, uh, every two weeks and keep it moving, you know, but everything has its pros and cons, but I've, 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 I've learned that and I'm getting, you know, more used to it as I practice. And I, you know, the more I practice and the more cases I get, you know, I, the more, especially high profile cases I get and I encounter, you know, law firms that are much bigger, much more resourced, I feel comfortable. I am glad that my maturation took as long as it did and that I got recognized at this point in terms of the clients and quality of cases that I'm getting because I'm ready. You know, I'm ready. And the one thing I'm, no client of mine can complain is there is no competence issue, you know? Um, And I don't want to be tagged as Lucy, the black lawyer. You know what I'm saying? I'm just a lawyer, you know? And I don't want, you know how it is in our community, how sometimes, you know, you, you get people who say, well, yeah, go, you know, go and get you. You know, we want to buy black, but when it comes to certain things, certain services, we don't always do that because we believe that knowledge sometimes is, is something that is uh, the province of the white man, you know, and that's just keeping it real. There's a lot of people who will never get a black attorney because they believe um, that a white attorney can do it better. And it's not that I'm, no, you know and and yeah. I'm on a quest to like you know I say Black Lives Matter, but I I believe everything Black matters. Like I said with the kid, the representation, like you know the Jewish people keep their dollars within their community. They're Jewish. Yeah. They have a Jewish attorney. They have to. They go to the synagogue. They go to a special grocery store because they use a special knife to cut the yeah. special cut of the meat. Like we are the only culture that looks at. I mean, you go to even I can just go name even the Hispanic culture. They keep everything within their home, within their culture, within their. You, you know what I'm saying? The, mm-hmm. the you go to their weddings. The uh, the whole vendor list. Who did it? Claudia did the cooking. Mm. Uh, you know, Beatrice did the... But like, they keep it all 100 within their culture. We are and the you know only what? ones. But you know, you know why that is? Why? That is, it is the legacy of slavery. Divide and conquer. Mm, that, that's that good. Is, that is where that comes from. You know, that... I mean, field... field N-word versus uh, house N-word. Light-skinned versus black-skinned. You know, dark-skinned. There's there's so many things within the black culture. There's so many layers to this, too. Yeah, yeah, it's so many layers to law. so many layers to prejudice. It's just, it's so many layers to segregation. We got segregation within our own self. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's crazy. But that's Mm -hmm. the conversation that we got to have with each other. Like, yo, dog, you know, reason why we don't like this word being used or, you know, like everybody likes our culture, but when it's time to be the culture, when it's time to be, so you like it, but when it's time to be it, you know, that's, that's, time that's, to a, whole different, that's a whole different conversation. We're going to stay away listen. from that one. <laughs> I don't know if I'm prepared for that conversation because I know exactly what you're talking about. A lot of people, they, yeah, are, hey, we're dope. You know what I'm saying? We're dope. You're dope too, but we're dope, you know? And, but when it comes to the burdens of this color, you, you know, it's very few people that want to be associated, you know? Mm-hmm. And which is including why- Including our people. Including our people. Yeah. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. You know, in I referenced earlier, I don't know if this was during a part where it cut off, but I, I don't think so. Um, George Floyd's brother's uh, hearing testimony this morning. And um, it was a hearing on police brutality and they had 12 witnesses. And the witnesses are invited by Congress people, you know, right now in the House led by Nancy Pelosi. It's Nancy Pelosi is the, is the House Speaker because the Democrats control the House. Mm-hmm. But in these hearings, the minority, the minority in the House is the GOP. They get to invite some people. 
you know, and it was funny who they invited, you know, they invited Pastor Daryl Scott. Um, they um, invited um, a former, I believe he's a Secret Service agent, another black guy. And I just saw their list. Um, and not everybody in that list merits the, the merits of criticism I'm about to give. Let me make that clear. Um, but too many on, on that list were black people who I just look at with, I hate to say it, you know, disdain, you know, because I'm like all skin ain't kin. I say that all the time, you know, and I caution people, especially black people, do not tar say that all skin ain't clean, baby. All skin and kin. Do not tar white people with the brush you're suffering under. You know? So people who say things like, you know, buy black or don't buy this because it's all, just because it's white owned. I don't, I don't do that. You know, I don't do that. Take the time to figure out who this person really is before you make a decision on that. Because all skin ain't kin. You know, I listened to that testimony and I heard what Pastor Scott said. And I'm like, you're here basically apologizing for your blackness, you know, and I'm not on, I'm not on that bandwagon, you know, so people have to be careful. This is a new day. And I'm really inspired by the people I see out there protesting the different cult. I saw Asians, I saw Native American, I saw Hispanic, I've, you know, Black people, everybody's out there protesting. And I hope this is not a moment. I hope it's a movement. You know, oh, so I, yeah. I, I tell, you know, just, you know, do follow the rules you learned in kindergarten. It's just that simple. You know what I'm saying? Treat people the way you want to be treated. You know, don't, don't brush with such a broad brush. You know, and I'm not saying we don't fail. I fail probably every day. And I'm sure, you know, at some point I'm probably hypocritical, but I try every day to not do you know do people like that cannot look at people through the lens of race that is what's being done to black people for so long you cannot turn around and do that doesn't mean don't stand up for yourself but be careful you know be careful how you do it because it can rebound in ways that end up hurting what you're trying to resolve wow girl you just dropping this just you dropping these one-liners honey like listen you are dropping, but but you know what? I think that's our culture too. Like we t we talk in parables and we talk in, and I am almost certain. Like this is how I know that it is true that it's from the continent. So I've done my research, and I know this is not about law, but you know we keep talking about you know um, your culture, African American, African, you know whatever. Um, I am almost certain that the way that we talk, like the parables, these little dimes that you dropping, come from the storytelling from my continent, my home continent, right? Um, mm -hmm. I'm not that far removed from a slave. My mama picked cotton as a little mm -hmm. girl, and my mama's still living, and we just buried my grandmother six months ago, right? Oh, wow. So we're not that far removed, and these like mm -hmm. little anecdotes that you're giving, like they're powerful, they're simple but powerful. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I just thank you for your transparency, Lucy. You're going to be great with your podcast, girl. I'm ready for it. <laughs> I know. I just I just learned how to record yesterday. <laughs> I'll be like, Luke, we can't hear you, Lucy. We see you talking, but we cannot hear you. You're going to be on it. You're going to be on it, girl. You're going to be on it. Did you see the city dropped all 800 cases? Against the protesters. I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. You know, I, and it's funny because the protesters were from that. I was out there as a legal observer, actually. For, um, through uh, Thurgood Marshall School of Law, had attorneys and law students act as legal observers. And we were there during the day and it was peaceful. There was no one doing anything wrong. Everybody was united you know, chanting. The only thing being obstinate and rude was the sun. It was hot, <laughs> you know, but everybody else, you know, everybody was fine, you know, but as the day started drawing to a close, you know, I already knew there was going to be a problem. 
I, I could I could feel it. You know, there was law enforcement out there, um, what appeared to be National Guard out there. And I just knew there was going to be a problem. And of course, there was a problem. And I'm just like, I, 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 we wouldn't have these problems if you simply removed yourselves from such an, you know, you, you set yourself up, these, the law enforcement, they set themselves up in an antagonistic way and then are surprised when antagonism is directed towards them. You're not here in a, in a manner that says serve and protect. You're carrying high-powered rifles. You're dressed in military gear. What are you here to do? You know, it's different if you're serving, you know, the function of a peacekeeper and you've cordoned off the road so that traffic avoids the protesters or the people who are marching. People weren't protesting. They were marching, asking the government to institute change. You know, the word protester is so easily directed to the word riot that I really should stop saying it. People were marching. You know, no one was no one was doing anything that required the level of military gear that I saw. But again, so, that goes back to our first conversation, the education, because I told my other friend, I said, you did not protest. You did a demonstration. And she literally argued with me. I was like, that mm -hmm. is a demonstration. You were not protesting. And she was like, well, you know what I'm trying to say. You know how, you know how my people do. You, now, I don't know what you're trying to say. You were saying it wrong. So I was just correcting you. So if you're going to sit up here and say what you're doing, make sure you know the right verbiage. That's all I'm saying. That's <laughs> you know all what? I'm saying, sis. That's it, sis. Uh, what? You want to know something? Okay, so you know what? This We have to talk about this then because the big thing that I'm, I have to say, you know, going back and forth with people on is the word defund, as in defund the police, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I've embraced it. Um, because I refuse to have an argument over semantics when people are literally dying in the street, you know, and people are like, well, what, you know, we still need police. We still need police. And I'm like, no one is saying we won't have police. This is just a slogan we've used. Learn what it means, you know, and keep it moving. So that what you brought up about language, I try to be very intentional about language, but I'm also very aware that that word defund is going to be used against people who say it in ways that I normally would agree with. You know, I'm normally someone who would say to you, use the right word because that word you're using doesn't mean what you think it means, mm -hmm. you know? But here I am saying defund the police, knowing that what I am saying is allocate resources appropriately in a community, you know? So... It's, Tell it's funny New that Jersey did it. They well, yes. did. They did. And yeah, yeah. they've been successful. Crime rate has gone down 43%. But again, that's because I read and I watch the news. And, you know, I, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I'm, I, I got to know what's going on. I, I just I, can't live yeah. in the world and not know and know. I need to know what other city has done this. Was it successful for that city? What was the outcome? How did that look for them? You know, I, I got to research and take everything in before I get on somebody's platform thinking I am the shit and don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know and, and and that's that's what I want people to do. You know, I mean, I I I'm comfortable saying defund the police because one, I know it's been done to a certain extent in Camden. And I also know, know that we don't need, I mean, in London, the police don't even carry guns. You know, so there's lots of ways to protect a society that doesn't require giving over half the budget of a city to do so. You know, and I, I posted this morning that we are literally robbing our human capital to fund law enforcement and to prop up white supremacy. You know, and I'm like, we don't need this anymore. This is hurting everyone, not just black people. You know, we're taking from education, infrastructure, healthcare, social services, just to say that we have law enforcement. Meanwhile, crime has been falling and it's been falling for decades. 
You know, so I'm like, who are we really scared of? We've so militarized the police that I'm like, you know, it's, you know, for people, I'm like, we have a bunch of people who don't, who are not as educated as they could be running into the police department because it's, it's being glorified, you know, and it's, and they're attracting a, 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 a subset of people who have no business being there. So I'm on board with defunding. Let's let's start with something new. Let's let's try a different model because mm-hmm. this isn't working. This is not working. What we've been doing is not working. I heard an alarming stat this morning that three percent that uh, every three minutes someone is arrested in this country. Every three minutes. However, only five percent of those arrests are for serious crimes. You know what that means? That means ninety five percent of the arrests in this country likely don't need to either happen mm-hmm. or they could be taken care of by mental health professionals, social workers. Do you see what I'm saying? Educators. Yes. And this is how you have a balanced society. We, we have a homeless problem in this country. And what's shameful, we have a veterans homeless problem in this country. But we're pumping all this money into law enforcement and we're just ignoring everything else. People who get mad at me for saying defund the police, I say to them, we've been defunding education for decades. Where were you then? <clears throat> you know, they didn't have a slogan. We have been taking money out of education and education is the bedrock of every great society. You can have everybody. everything else. And we make everybody, like when I tell you we make everybody, I, I made my mom laugh. I said, mom, I know the stripper to the drug dealer, the doctor to the scientist. I know who is in my classroom. Sad, but true, right? Because everybody don't have the examples and presets set before them to, you know, shoot for the stars. Mm-hmm. I already know that. But even the basketball player or the football star, he had to come through a classroom. It was somebody that made a difference in his life. And we are the lowest paid and put up with the most shit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Exactly. And this is, this is the same problem that the, that law enforcement have teachers have. You guys have the same problem, except y'all are treated very differently. And I, And I'll say this, the only difference is, well, well, not the only difference, but a major difference is uh, teachers are mostly women and cops are mostly men, right? Mm -hmm. So, but teachers are, you show a little, teachers teachers are charged with being psychologists, mental health professionals, sociologists, uh, educators. And the minute that child comes into your room, it comes into your classroom. They come with all the problems that you guys, that they have in the world. And yet you all are not equipped for that. I've heard of schools with books falling apart, no nurse, no mental health psychologist. They close the library, arts are gone. And I'm like, do you know what an education is? And education means from as little as sitting in the sun for a couple of minutes or whatever. From recess to arts to PE to English, that is an education. You know, you cannot tell me for a child, you cannot, you cannot take a part, you can't take one part of weight and tell me they're well-educated. That's not how education works. All those things play a part. And so we've been defunding education in this country for decades. And I see it in my clients. I hate to put it like that, but I see it. I see what's going on. You know, we have a bunch of people, I call it the microwave culture, where you want instant gratification. You know, you just want someone to tell you something. You don't want to go and sit and learn. And, you know, this that, that's the culture we're going into. You know, and it's dangerous. It's dangerous that people are not as educated as they could be. And it's not their fault, you know, because as a lawyer, I say people have a right to education. You know, and they're giving you education, but it's not the best education you get. And that's a problem. That's a problem. Girl, we could go on and on. But what's next for you? Tell me what is next for Lucy and her firm. (laughs) Well, we are hopefully going to try and follow in your footsteps and put out a quality 
podcast that discusses um, legal topics and trending topics. Um, I haven't decided on a name yet, but it's something that I'm looking forward to. I have been writing content for it. Um, As far as the firm, I am looking to partner um, with different people and make myself uh, basically do more marketing to let people know that I'm out here. And I, that's important to me simply because I believe everyone has, should have access and everyone should get at least an ear as to their issue, you know? So I'm very, very motivated to get myself out here and have people know that there's someone on your side. I may not be able to help you, but you won't leave a conversation with me not knowing what the facts, what the law is, and what your next steps should be. That's that's all we need, next steps. That's all we need. That's all we need. I have enjoyed our conversation. Um, I want you to think about this word. My podcast is Confluence. So I came up with where confidence meets influence. I call my ladies confluencers. Mm -hmm. So what do you think a good definition of confluence is from Lucy's perspective? A confluencer. Well, I'm someone who loves to be right. (laughs) I love to be right. I put a lot of work into being right. This is not a... um, a shallow or conceited view. When I speak, I try to speak authoritatively, not because of some special knowledge I have, but simply because I will seek out that knowledge. So when you say the word confluencers, when I speak, I speak from the knowledge that I've done my due diligence and whatever I put out there is going to have an influence for the good. You know, I have the confidence of knowing that I'm not, I'm putting good out there. It may not hit you. It may not hit you uh, in a way you want to be hit, but it's a way that you need to be hit, you know? And so confluencers is, to me, it's someone who is impacting the world authoritatively, you know, confidently, because they're, they've done the research to be able to speak. And that's something a lot of people don't value. A lot of people talk. And I'll be the first one to tell anyone, I speak a lot. I write a lot. I say a lot of things. It's up to you to figure out what is valuable that I've said and throw everything else away. Because you know what's value because you've done the work, you know? And that's mm. those are, that's sort of elevated conversations I want to have with people. Everything I say is not valuable. But you won't know that if you haven't done the work. You know, or if you haven't invested in um, in knowing what is actually valuable out there and you have to be you have to know that about yourself. I can speak all day. You know, I enjoy the back and forth of conversations, you know, and analyzing things. But everything I say cannot be valuable. It just is not, you know, but you 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 as a recipient of everything of whatever I'm saying, you have to independently know that if you don't know that, then you, you are gullible. Anyone can lead you around by the nose, you know. So that's, mm-hmm. that's a confluence or someone who is able to speak and receive because they're able, you know, they've done the research. So what, what they, what they put out there, that's, that's, a, that's you influence with good, you know, confidence, yes. you know, that, that to me is a good definition of that. Well, thank you so much, girl, for coming on Confluence for Lifestyle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you I for having me. I appreciate you so much. Not pre- well, you know you're going to have to come on my podcast so that I can interview you for how education impacts us because that is your area of ex- expertise. So, you know, I'm going to have to get you to give me a commitment that you'll come on at some point. Anything you need, you know I'm there because I want to <laughs> lead the newest reform because I'm tired of it. I'm yeah. tired of it. Yeah, several teacher friends and y'all I tell people all the time I could not be a teacher there's no way there's no way 
There's no way. We do. We learn to do a lot with yes. very little. Yes. And like, you know, um, just they used to give us stipends at the beginning of the year to buy school supplies. They don't do that anymore. So like not only am I taking food out of my own household or resources from my own child to make sure other people's kids mm-hmm. are correct. And you, I'm still not worthy of a raise or 1.9% raise or, you know what I mean? Like I have to fight you tooth and nail just to get a 3000, you know, like, come on y'all. Like, mm-hmm. come on y'all. I get it. You know, and I'm hoping that this wave of this wave that's hit this country sweeps across this nation in every arena. You know, this is not if you just the the way COVID has hit this country and the light is shine, it's shown on all the imperfections and flaws in this country. I'm hoping that it's like the death of George Floyd, the man of his death is like another layer on that. And it's just revealed all the things that's wrong in this country, you know? And I tell people all the time, do not worry about whether somebody else is getting more than you. If the least of us get it, it will rise. It will, it will mean that you're going to get it. You know, if the minimum wage is $20 an hour, but you command a PhD, Do you see what I'm saying? You're going to get more. That's the way it works. we got to do better about rising the people at the bottom because that's how you rise a nation, you know? So that's, I really need people to start to think in that manner. We really just, we just, we have a lot of work to do. That's what I have. That's what I tell people. We have a lot of work to do. So get about that work. But thank you for inviting me. I appreciated this conversation. And um, make sure you're washing your hands and wear your masks. Because <laughs> <laughs> COVID is still out here. <laughs> COVID is still out here. And yeah. you know what? I was going to say, you know, the, the, the uh, one way that COVID was cured, racism. We, we, we uncovered for a few days, we didn't hear about COVID. For, for once, America had to talk about its first sore. See, that's a sore for America. You know, like, don't tell me to you know, get over it. I can't, like, it's historical. Like, I can't get over it. You know, we have never received reparations. The 40 acres and the mule, Spike Lee got that name of his company, but we never really received that. We never got the 40 acres, the mule. We didn't even get a donkey. We didn't even get a dog. We didn't even get a bat for a cave. We got nothing. And so it just made for, for a few days, and a lot, it just, it felt beautiful to see commentators pull back that onion because it's layers, baby. It's layers, it's layers. Like we just been saying, it's layers to this. Like, you know how people say it's levels to this? Mm-hmm. It's layers to this. Oh, yeah. that's a good t-shirt. It's layers to this. <laughs> it is yeah. layers yeah. to this. You know, uh, how we treat our children, how we treat our men, why yeah. Why? Why he probably called for his mama? It, that is broken down. That is even broken down to slavery. We coddled. We were taught from man. Listen, I, we could talk about that all day long. Well, right in Jamestown, he said the way that you break a black man down, you break him down in front of his wife and his son and his daughter. You break him down, and you learn it. And then she gonna coddle, coddle her son. She gonna keep him so close because she don't want that to happen to him. Mm-hmm. Oh man. And so what you have, a whole generation of mama's boys that create more what? Mama's boys. That create what? More mama's boys. It's nothing wrong with it because you got to love your son. But that's historical too. Yeah, no, every... Black life is impacted in so many ways. There's so many things that when I see it, you know, I'm old enough to appreciate that there are pathologies that influence Black life in ways that that you know you just you just have to be aware you know and it 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 it, it allow it frees me it frees me to have some grace it frees me to act in a you know to try and act in a, you know it, just in an educated way you know i haven't always done that but as i get older i just have a greater appreciation for my upbringing and what i know about about just black life. You know, and when I say black life, I have the privilege of being an immigrant to this country, but coming here young enough to be considered African-American, if that makes sense. You know, so I see, I see things 
that probably other people don't see about black life simply because I don't have the legacy of slavery on me, but I am black. You know, white people don't know that when they see me. So I, I am treated like an African-American, but I don't, I know I don't have some of the burdens African-Americans have had in this country on me, you know? So it's freeing and it's constricting at the same time. And it's, I can't, you know, I, I, I can't separate, I can't separate from that. And so, you know, when I function, I function from black period. I don't try to define it as African or American. I'm black, you know, and that's, that's how I live my life. I'm black. And I need to remember that. And I'm not trying to um, categorize it as either. It's both and it's nuanced and people need to pay attention to the legacy of, of this country and what it's done to black life, period. You know, if you're not paying attention to that, like I said at the beginning, you're likely not human. That's it. That's all. Thank you, Lucy, for sharing your level of expertise with the ladies of Confluence. Ladies, please go like, follow, and share in the journey. She has plenty to say. And you heard her say it. This is a movement, not a moment. We can't rest until our good is better and our better is best. Take a listen. I've started this series entitled Raising a Black Boy in America. Let's go listen to one of the mothers. My name is Laquita Barnes. I'm an educator, real estate investor, daughter, wife, and most importantly, I'm a mother of a black son. A son that has grown up knowing and aware what was going on in the world and having those tough age-appropriate conversations, such as what happens when someone doesn't want to play with you because of color of your skin. What is the N-word? What happens if someone calls you the N-word? What happens when you see an adult is treating you differently than other students? So my son has always been aware that there will be obstacles in this world that he will have to face because of the color of his skin. And unfortunately, I can't shield him from that. It's been important for me that my son knows his history, America's history and his black history. Because it's often stated, history can repeat itself if not corrected. And we see that so recently with the recent cases of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Aubrey. When we don't educate people and we allow racism to exist. After learning about George Floyd, we continue to have those tough conversations in explaining to my son his rights, which has been the difficult thing because although he knows his rights, my fear is that one day someone will intimidate him and challenge him his rights as a human being and as a U.S. citizen. My son's questions have shifted recently. Most recently, he asked, should I be afraid? Which is a hard question to answer. When you know that someone, most importantly a police officer, may not have my son's best interest at heart. That they may not know that he is a kind young man with a gentle heart. That he truly just wants to see people for the content of their character and not based upon their race, color, creed, or religion preference. I'm afraid that they won't see the young man that he is destined for greatness with bold dreams beyond my imagination that they won't see him as that, a young black man. Like so many people, I'm hurt, I'm frustrated, I am tired of the same fights. I'm tired of proving our mere existence on this earth as a black citizen, most importantly as a black woman. I support the protest scene around the world, but my question has always been, what is next? For me, my next steps includes voting, rallying my community 
to put their power behind their voices. Not only in the national election, but also local elections. We have to believe in the process and holding people accountable. We must hold our mayors, police chiefs, congressmen, and women accountable for change and oversight. We must request legislative changes on state and federal levels. We must put the people in power to support these changes, to address criminal justice reform, racial wealth and income gaps, health disparities in our communities, making sure we have quality education resources for all scholars. We've seen what can happen when we don't have the right people in place. So to America, I say to you, I know that you are hurt. I know that you are frustrated and I know that you are tired. But what's next? Again, history can repeat itself if we don't do anything about it. Wow. Just wow. Thank you, Laquita Barnes. So heartfelt. I felt you. And I felt that. And thank you, Lucy, again for sharing with the ladies of Confluence. Well, that's it for me this week. We are a culture that overcomes. We've started from the bottom. Now we're here. Started from the bottom. Now we're here. Hey, yeah. We have shaken America to the core. Let's don't stop until we give them more. We want justice. We want what's right. We want what's fair. Because life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness should have never been a question. Until we meet again, be blessed and a blessing to others. See you next week. Peace out, Confluencers. Oh, yeah. Give your girl a review. I tell you, reviews keep you relevant. Click five stars. I greatly appreciate you. <laughs>